0: Hello, am I on? Good morning. How's everyone doing? You are all brave Canadians to come out in this snow and, and make your way to church. I mean, if you look at pictures of Newfoundland, we're not that brave, but <laughs> they have to shovel their way out of their front door to get to, get to church. But thank you for braving the snow and, and coming to be here in a community of, of fellow Christians. So as Jeff was mentioning, uh, my name's Jake. I'm here with my wife, Julie, and my da- our daughter, Galilee, and we attend Lincoln Heights on the other side of town, Lincoln Heights Evangelical Missionary Church. Um, one interesting fact about me is that I actually was roommates with Pastor James's brother a couple of years ago, so I do have that distant connection to Trinity, so it's, yeah, it's there. And my wife and I have also been coming to some of your prayer nights over the past couple of months. Um, very powerful I'm, I'm really want to encourage you that these nights are so uh, your church has really cultivated this culture of prayer and and submission to the spirit that's actually very rare in our culture so I really want to encourage you in that even this morning having times of prayer together uh, maintain this culture as you transition to finding a new pastor I really encourage you in that so yeah it's great to be with you here this morning If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 13, verse 44 to 46. If you have your phone, press with me to Matthew 13, verse 44 to 46. All right. So here we're in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, and we're at a point in the story where Jesus has just finished teaching this huge crowd of people. The crowd is so huge that he actually had to get into a boat and uh, the crowd was standing on the shores so that they could hear him and they could see him. So after this huge teaching, time of teaching, Jesus retreats with his disciples into a, a small house. But he continues to teach them with parables. So here he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Let's read that one more time just because it's a short passage. Maybe close your eyes and, and I'll read it slowly. Just allow it to sink into your heart. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Is there anything that jumps out to you in, these, in this short passage? Feel free to share. Anything that First, first thoughts. Yep. Sold everything. Yep right <laughs> mhm, okay, yeah, I'm not sure is it the owner's is it the owner's treasure that he's <laughs> yeah any other things that stand out? Yeah, so as, as I've read over this and, and kind of reflected on it and meditated on it, there's three main things that uh, have stood out to me. So we'll, we'll work through these three things together this morning. Uh, the first thing I've noticed, I noticed about the parable is that the kingdom of God is somewhat hidden or it's somewhat unexpected or surprising. Uh, when when uh, the person's looking for the treasure, it's a surprise that they found the treasure or it's a surprise that they found that, that pearl. In Luke 17, verse 20 to 21, it says, On being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, Here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Or another translation is within you. your kingdom of God is within you. So again, here Jesus is alluding to this, this hiddenness or this unexpectedness of the kingdom of God. So to give you a bit of context here, if you're, if you're unfamiliar, when the Pharisees are asking Jesus when the kingdom of God will come, they're, they're likely picturing uh, this political ruler who's going to come likely, probably with an army, and come and overthrow the Roman government, reestablish the nation of Israel, and have a king on the throne in the way we understand kings on earth. Uh, in the history of the Jewish people, the southern kingdom of Judah, which was the last remaining part of Israel, uh, was taken into exile around 587 B.C. And since that point, all up until the time of Jesus, uh, Israel did not have a king on the throne. Uh, but God continuously promised them through the prophets uh, that he would reestablish the nation of Israel and put a king on the throne. Uh, so Jeremiah 25, or 23 verse 5 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. So when you hear this, they're likely thinking there's going to be a king who's going to come, overthrow the government, and we're going to have the nation of Israel set up once again. But here in, here, uh, in this passage in Luke and in the, in the parable, we see that the kingdom that Jesus brings is is kind of unexpected. See, Jesus was king, and Jesus was Lord. These are all political words that uh, are often used in the New Testament to describe Jesus' role. He is king, but his kingdom wasn't established through military violence or through, through coercive power. Jesus brings a new, a new social order, uh, like any government would, uh, but it's not something that's mandated and enforced through laws. Jesus even seems to bring a new way of understanding money, even a new kind of economy into uh, his kingdom brings this new kind of understanding of money Uh, where it's not forced onto the people. We're not forced into this economic structure, but we're invited to share our resources out of the generosity of our heart. So Jesus does set up all these things that are a kingdom. They are a kingdom, but it's an unexpected kingdom. It's one that we're, we're invited into and it's not this high-up, spiritualized concept that really doesn't affect our lives very much, but it's something that we actually live into. It's not fully fulfilled yet, but it's something we live into as Christians. So I would love, I would love to talk more about the kingdom. It's something I'm very passionate about, and Jesus continuously, continuously talks about it through the Gospels. But uh, for the sake of time, we'll leave it at that. The kingdom is unexpected and surprising. Uh, The second thing that's really stood out to me, which seems to be pretty clear from the parable, is that the kingdom is valuable. Do you know anyone who's really into collecting rare items? Do you know anyone who, they collect things and maybe you think it's kind of weird, but, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. My my brother collects, or he used to collect coins, and so people would always give him these cool rare coins, yeah. Rare coins from other countries or coins that weren't, There's only a few of them made or that kind of thing. Uh, When I was little, I collected Pokemon cards. Anyone remember Pokemon? Pretty cool. Still as cool as the coins, but maybe not as valuable. Um, Yeah, so I want you to picture that person you know who collects these these items. And I want you to picture them walking up to you and just one day, and they come up to you and say, hey, I... uh, I was just looking on Kijiji and and on Facebook Marketplace. I found this really cool coin. It's like super cool. I think there's only made like two of them in history. And I'm actually thinking I'm going to sell my house and buy it. What would be your response? (laughs) What are you thinking? (laughs) I think maybe we should slow this down. Maybe think about it for a little bit. Maybe think about it for a couple years before you make that decision. We think they're crazy, maybe, probably. Um, these two parables that Jesus talks about, about this person selling everything they have to buy this pearl, this would have been just as crazy. It would have seemed, people would have been like, what the heck? The kingdom was like this? That's, that doesn't make a lot of sense. So Jesus is kind of shaking us into the realization that the kingdom of God is extremely valuable. It's extremely expensive. It really is worth giving up everything for the kingdom. Do you remember Jesus' teaching? Whoever wants to be my disciple must take up their cross and follow me. This is a radical, heavy call to discipleship. It's a call to die to our own desires, to die to our own habits, our own, uh, the things we have, our, our possessions, our philosophies, our ways of thinking. It's a call to put those aside and allow Christ to fill us with his kingdom so I want to ask you what have you what have you given up to follow Christ have you given up anything one one way of one question that has really challenged me is uh, if you stopped being a Christian would anyone notice anything different in your life I remember someone asked me that and I, I was like wow that's a powerful question it really causes you to reflect on what you're doing as a Christian how your life has changed as a Christian the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, even the participation in his sufferings. You feel this passion in Paul's writing, his... His strong desire, he sees the kingdom of God like this pearl that he doesn't care what's in the way. He's going to get rid of the things that are in the way to get to the kingdom, to get to Christ, to know Christ. Paul's willing to give up his good reputation, his good education, uh, his good standing as a Roman citizen. He's even willing to give up his safety, personal safety, his job. He seems to get it. He just gets it. When was the last time you had a conversation with someone and you came away thinking, wow, that person really wants Christ. They really have a strong love for Christ. They're doing everything they can to draw close to him. They're even stopping things in their life that aren't necessarily even bad, but things that are just getting in the way of their relationship to Christ. That deep love. I'm telling you, this this deep, strong passion for Christ is itself a very rare pearl. Um, I'm sure you know people like that. But I want to be honest with you and open with you and feel free to challenge me on this if you disagree, but I have a sense that the church in our culture has kind of lost this as a large, the church as a large entity. In many ways, we've dumbed down the gospel a little bit and, and made it so that nothing in your life really changes or really needs to change when you become a Christian. I mean, we wouldn't say that, but but it's my sense that we're kind of dumbing down the gospel a little bit. We've, we've turned Christianity from this really rare, beautiful pearl into a rock. Anyone can walk up the street and find a rock. It doesn't really change your life in any significant way, like a rare gem would or finding a rare treasure would. Uh, I could just go outside right now, find a rock, and I could bring it to you and be like, this is the coolest rock I've ever seen. It's, there's no other rock like it. It's shaped in a, its own unique way. Uh, and I could convince you so hard that this rock is incredible, Uh, and maybe if you were slightly strange, you'd be like, oh, cool, man, that's, yeah, maybe you're right. (laughs) But for most of us, you'd be like, you're crazy, it's just a rock. When we make Christ, Christ more palatable, when we explain away some of his more radical teachings when we actually lower our expectations of how powerful the spirit of God actually is, when we say that Christ is this beautiful thing in our life, this amazing part of our life, and then we go on to not actually follow what he says, we're turning him from this beautiful pearl into just a rock. Uh, There was a, a German theologian during World War II named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, some of you may may know him. He really wrestled with this idea of what he called cheap grace versus costly grace, and it was his uh, when he was with churches and uh, engaging with churches in his culture. He he saw that there was there was a sense that um, people were weren't really diving all in to their faith. So, in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, he says. Cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Cheap grace grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Isn't that such a challenge, a profound challenge to us today? The kingdom of God is extremely powerful and valuable uh, when we actually buy into it and live in the kingdom. So what does this look like? Uh, Some of the things he mentions are um, repentance, uh, church discipline, church discipline where we lovingly challenge each other to grow, and strong emphasis on the lovingly challenge each other. People of church discipline has gone other directions where it's not healthy. Some other things are the practice of confessing our sins to each other. Wow, what a way to humble ourselves, eh? A challenging, very challenging thing for us to do. Uh, some other practices: are prayer, meditation, fasting, spending time with the poor, seeking justice in our city. I was, my heart was broken this winter when November, early November, it started to snow. And there wasn't enough space in the shelters for for people who were homeless. There was a huge lack of of shelter, and there still is right now. And my heart, I was sitting in meetings with people talking about this, and my heart was like, where is the church? This is our calling. These are our people. These are all practices that are intrinsic to the kingdom. And they may be challenging, and they, they definitely present a lot of challenges to us, but they will for sure help us to grow and become more like Christ. So that's my second point. The kingdom is valuable. It's extremely expensive. It demands that we, we be willing to give everything in our life for Christ. And the third is, is that the kingdom is a joy. We should find joy in the kingdom. When these people found the, this pearl and this treasure, they weren't like, oh, I'm weighed down. They were like, I need to sell everything to get this treasure. Although the kingdom really demands a lot of us, uh, this parable shows that these, these seemingly harsh things that are, are pretty difficult for us are, aren't really demands at all when, we're, when we have the Holy Spirit living in us. They're actually things that bring us joy because we know that our Father approves of them and we know that uh, we feel the same passion and excitement for renewing and restoring uh, creation. Jesus himself says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. He didn't call us to be legalists. He didn't call us to be weighed down by this heavy sense of, oh, I, I have to go pray. I have to go meditate. I have to read my Bible. I have to do all these things. That is, there's nothing that sucks the joy out of a room more than this kind of guilt or this, uh, this or if there's a person who's super religious and they, they are perfectly following everything but they have no joy and no love in their heart. There's nothing, nothing that sucks life out of a room more than that. My dad calls those people joy suckers. Suck the joy out of the room. <laughs> yeah, the kingdom is a joy for us who believe. Any, do any of you rem- remember the show, The Beverly Hillbillies? <laughs> I'm not going to tell you when that show came out because I don't want you to feel old. But my understanding, I remember seeing it a long time ago, but my, when I, thinking back, I remember, I think it has to do with this hillbilly family who digs on their property and this bunch of oil squirts up and they realize they're sitting on a huge property of oil. Now, like imagine if you were sitting on a property like that or if you knew, I know that there's a property just over there that it's got a huge reserve of oil underneath of it. I imagine you wouldn't be like, oh man, we really got to struggle and suffer to sell our stuff. I really don't want to sell my, my favorite couch because it's my favorite couch, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to count the cost so that I, uh, and I'm going to suffer through this so that I can buy that property. You wouldn't think like that. You'd be like, I better go buy that thing quick or else someone's going to go find it. Someone's going to realize there's oil underneath of that. When we're in Christ... The kingdom is not a burden for us. It's expensive. It really is expensive, valuable. It demands our whole life. But it's not a burden. When we're in Christ, we have this this deep sense of joy that comes along with uh, a sacrificial life, a deep sense of joy that is even present in the midst of, of intense suffering. In James 1, verse 1 to 4, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its, finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Have you ever really reflected on this verse and allowed it to allowed it to come into your heart on those moments when you're not feeling joyful <laughs> I encourage you to do this practice. Anytime you get into a moment where your initial response is just anger or frustration, to think, consider it pure joy. It'll frustrate you. You'll be like, why am I not feeling joy right now? <laughs> I've, this is something God's really placed on my heart. Um, I've been praying that in these moments when maybe Julie and I start to get in a bit of an argument, that anger and bitterness will not be the first thing that roots up, comes, comes out of my heart. Or when I'm walking my dog, who's not a very good dog to walk, and he pulls my arm off, chases a squirrel, that I won't be filled with anger and frustration. That one's a hard one to overcome. Or when someone says something negative to me, I won't become bitterness and resentfulness won't be the first things that creep up into my heart. It's a great concept. It's a great one. We always talk about the joy of the Lord. But I encourage you, when you're in moments where you're feeling Ah, this anger is coming up in me. Reflect on these verses where joy should be the natural response of a Christian. When you think about your faith and about your life as a Christian, does it bring you joy? Maybe you're here because in your mind you feel that Christ is important. I know he's important. I know I have to, I should go to church but your heart really doesn't feel that strong pull. I've had moments like that in the past. Or when you think about reading your Bible, is it, is it just one more thing to add to your busy day? i got to go home. I know I have to read my Bible. It's going to help me change and transform me. Uh, but does it just feel like another thing to add on to your life? Or do you feel in genuinely in your soul and your spirit that the Word of God is alive, and it's active, and it actually has the power to transform us and radically shift our culture and shift our society. When you think about coming to church, do you roll out of bed and think, oh, I'm just, maybe I'll just flip on YouTube today and pick my favorite pastor, and I'll definitely get a lot more out of it than going to listen to this Jake guy. (laughs) I've had that urge, maybe I'll just go listen to my favorite pastor. He's really convicts me and teaches me. And, but, but I think we need to recognize that when we're with fellow Christians, God is working in our midst. There's much more than just learning for our own, our own knowledge. I don't want you to feel overwhelmed if, you're not fe- if you don't feel these things, if you're, if you're not quite there yet, or if you don't feel this, this strong joy for the kingdom. It's not really something we can just kind of will ourselves into and just, I'm just going to feel a lot of joy today. We can't really do that. It really is a gift of the Holy Spirit. It really is a gift. And the more we submit our lives to Christ and submit ourselves to Christ, he will, uh, he will transform our heart and naturally allow joy to come out. If you feel in your heart that God is, is pulling you and calling you to something different, if you feel that maybe He's asking you to to stop doing certain things or He's asking you uh, to stop watching certain things or to live in a different way that seems strange when you look at other people, you're like, no one else is doing this, but I feel like maybe I should, listen to the Holy Spirit. Allow Him to guide you. Allow those promptings on your heart. Just obey. Follow and obey. In conclusion, let us pray for a renewed excitement and a renewed joy for the kingdom of God. Let's, let's continuously pray for this deep joy that surpasses all understanding. Let us humble ourselves the, as a church with prayer and fasting and, and allow God to fill us and ask him to be our everything. I, I really feel that God is working and that his spirit is stirring in people's hearts. I've had A lot of conversations with people who they're thinking like I really feel drawn into these spiritual disciplines of, of meditation and fasting and I don't really know why but I like I've talked to people from many different areas who are all feeling the same call to these spiritual practices that aren't trendy or cool they're just straight up Christianity like historical Christianity practices and I feel like God is drawing people into himself so I encourage you, if, if you're feeling drawn in that direction, be obedient and, and allow him to, to, to pull you in. Let's pray that once again the church will rediscover this treasure, this pearl of Christ and his kingdom. And that people will be willing to do crazy things in their love for Christ. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we thank you for the privilege of being able to gather with fellow Christians and, and to worship you. Thank you for the many blessings that you've given us, and uh, just so many privileges we have in this culture. And uh, thank you for the opportunity that we have to to share our needs with you and our prayers with you and with each other. Such a blessing, such a privilege. I just pray that you'd renew this excitement for your kingdom. Renew our hearts and allow us to not just get stuck in this routine of of Sunday morning Christianity. But grab a hold of us and and give us a passion for the things that you're passionate about. Lord, we just ask that you would transform our hearts and, and guide us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.